I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me a couple days before Christmas is Shay Dixon. Shay, how are you doing today? Doing well. About to uh, gear up to fly to the East Coast to spend Christmas with some family and then back here to do, you know, right after Christmas with more family and then New Year's and off to the bowl. So this will sort of be our holiday podcast. This will sort of take you through the stretch run up to the new year. So I'm I'm good. Rolling. Yep. I mean, I got to drive to San Antonio in a couple of days. So that, that seven hour drive is always fun. Um, and I'll be spending it there for about a week and then coming back for the uh, basketball stretch to start January, January 2nd, the women play A&M, then the men play on the fourth at home against Kentucky. So I'll be back for that. Uh, like you said, this is going to be the podcast to take take y'all through um, everything. We're going to be talking about the recruiting, the signing day, uh, talking about the coaching situation with all the assistant coaches, uh, talk about the bowl game, the opt-outs, the quarterback situation, and then end it with some basketball talk as well. So we got y'all covered with everything on this pod. And Shay, we obviously – I mean, it's what we do. We covered the hell out of a signing day on, on our site, Go 24-7. Uh, if y'all missed out on it, um, I feel bad because we covered it about as thoroughly as anybody can. I had a live stream going in the morning. Y'all had um, just pieces on every single uh, signee. And then overall pieces, I had an analysis, analysis piece as well. Uh, just when you look at the group, 14 signees as a whole, they obviously, and I still have my big board up of the the all the signees. I haven't even erased it yet, just because uh, that was such a busy day. Just what do you what do you think of the class as a whole and how how it went? Um, I mean, I think it went put put it this way from from talking to LSU sources, they thought that the best case scenario was how last week could have gone was that they were going to end the week with 15 signees and that Kendrick Law would have been, you know, hadn't made it 15. He was going to announce on Friday. Now he picked Bama for most of his senior season. People thought that Bama was the team to beat. LSU sort of got themselves in at the end. They had him in for a game. You know, you go through finally naming Brian Kelly the coach. Uh, he's able to go up there and meet with him at the school. They got the whole family down for an official visit, but uh, it obviously wasn't meant to be. So you missed there. They didn't think they were getting Shaz Preston. They didn't think they were getting Aaron Anderson. These are things that it sucked. Those guys go to Bama. You've got to play them. They're now guys from your state that are playing for Nick Saban. Uh, it's not the recruiting outlook that you want in a class. But you're coming off back-to-back 500 seasons. You've got not just a head coaching change, but wholesale changes across the staff. So not a shocker that you're going to end up missing guys. I thought that what I had said all along was, Look, LSU's even in the days where they were down on receivers and Russell Gage and DJ Chark were the best receivers they had. Those guys start on NFL teams right now. Like, so you'll always have receivers here. This state doesn't give you five-star quarterbacks every year. 
It doesn't give you five-star offensive linemen every year. It doesn't give you multiple top 100 type offensive linemen every year. Those were sort of the most important pieces, no doubt. They got Walker Howard. They got Will Campbell. They got Emory Jones. And as I noted, everything that they thought would go their way did. They buckled in and kept Demario Toll. They signed all the, you know, the commitments that had come through over the weekend. They knew Jadarian Ryan would flip to Auburn. They, you know, had pretty accurately predicted where these dominoes will fall. It's a Louisiana heavy class. You focused on the guys at the top. You got Quincy Wiggins, who was the biggest name really out there alongside Law that they were still chasing. So when you throw all that in, Matty B, and you add Miles Frazier, a transfer, they've gone to the transfer portal. He's what they, you'll see it if you go to the Go24 website. They've got 13 guys signed who are high school commits uh, or signees, and then one guy signed now who's a JUCO, or excuse me, who's a transfer signee in Frazier. And we've talked about it. We've already written about him on the board, but this is a guy coming out of Florida International who had Ohio State, a number of offers. He finished the year as the highest rated offensive tackle on PFF. Now, we can debate the merits of PFF grading yeah, and how they do it. And, but if you're up there and you're number one, you're playing pretty good football. So this is a plug-and-play starter for them in a year where they're going to lose offensive line, offensive line five total, really, between a transfer and four signees is exactly what you want if you're Brad Davis. You want as much help in the trenches that can both help you now and that you can develop. And they've got a good bit of uh, that with the blend. So I thought it was a really, I mean, look, late, late offers to Landon Ivietta, late offers to Jordan Allen, you get them to stay home. Those are the kind of moves you got to be making when you're in this situation. I think everything for them last week, they would go back and say, damn, it sucks. Kendrick Law went to Bama. But outside of that, we got everybody that we thought we were going to get that we were pushing for. And now you set yourself up for February and for the portal. And then you move forward from there. Yeah. And I don't want to take for granted, even though Will Campbell and Walker Howard were locked into LSU for a long time, getting two five stars of that caliber in the same class in a coaching change does a lot, I feel like, because we know what the top-end talent of a class means, right, every single year. Um, yes, it's great to have – you'd rather have 20 signees than 14, of course. But having those two guys who could potentially be multiple-year starters at very, very important positions on the offensive line at, at quarterback – and I, obviously we need to see more from Walker Howard just to, to know that because the quarterback is such a difficult position to evaluate. But that is a bit, that, that's a big deal that I don't want to take for granted, even though they were locked in for a long time. So – that is worth celebrating for us. And LSU the fact fans. that it's a quarterback and a tackle, right? Exactly. Exactly. So that's something that I think LSU fans need to, you know, again, celebrate and not take for granted. And then you look at, you mentioned it, Quincy Wiggins, locking him down was, I think, the biggest move of the day. I was talking about that on the live stream. It was like, they need Quincy Wiggins. You need Quincy Wiggins and then LaTerrence Welsh. Where, to me, the two guys they needed to completely lock down because Welsh, while – Again, we expected him to go to LSU. There was a lot of talk of it. I think it was Arkansas and some other schools just coming in late trying to flip him. And he stayed true. And I was like, those guys are the ones that on the defense side of the ball, I looked at as being the best players in this class if if they signed. And they do sign. I think that's a huge deal. Uh, Terrence Walsh didn't play his senior year, but I loved his film from his junior and sophomore year. And um, just getting those two on the defensive side of the ball – made me feel a lot better about this class because then you have some balance. You have Ham Campbell, Howard, and, and uh, Jones, and then you have Wiggins and Welsh on defense. And I, I we were talking about this yesterday. I, there are a couple other players on this list that I like a lot. 
like I talked about on the on the on the uh, stream, Landon Ibieta, Jordan Allen. I love I really love those guys' films. So um it overall i i agree with you i think it's about as good as you can ask i i think i kept saying that on the stream as well as like guys they're not gonna get like the best case scenario is they get these 15 guys here and then obviously uh dj west goes to missouri and uh, kendrick law goes to um, alabama so it's like okay it didn't completely work out how you went and dj west was a separate situation but i mean you can't ask for anything more at this point with the way that this has gone and uh, credit to Andre Carter for record for recruiting Quincy Wiggins continuously, despite not knowing the certainty of like his job status. I mean, it, it couldn't have gone much better for for LSU, in my opinion. Yeah, and you look if and Brian Kelly said they're going to focus on their base and and this is a class put together by Ed Orgeron, obviously, uh, yes. and, and his staff then. So look, credit to those guys. We saw a lot of guys now draw like Ryan Flip, Jake Johnson goes to A and M. You know, you lost some guys along the way. Aaron Anderson flipped to Bama. But when you look at it, if you were signing 13 guys, and I think that's what they what, – yeah, signed 13 and then Miles Frazier is 14. So mm-hmm. if you're signing 13 guys, 10 are from Louisiana. One is from Michigan. He's your kicker, who Greg McMahon evaled, and he's coming off recruiting two kickers, Delishu, that broke records and are probably two of the best kickers they've had in a long time uh, in Tracy and York. So you feel great about that. And then they went to Florida for the other two guys. They got Mason Taylor, the son of Jason Taylor, uh, obviously all pro uh, Hall of Fame type NFL player. But yeah. the fact that you get a, you have to go out of state for a position of need tight end. You've got one scholarship tight end on roster, and then you had Jake Johnson leave on you. So you get, you lock Mason Taylor in. And then Demario Tolan, you didn't have any linebackers here in Louisiana that you had circled and said, we need that guy, you know, more than anybody else. And, then you've got to go out of state for it. And it's a position of need. They go out, they get Tolan, um, who Blake Baker was really high on. And, and a lot of people are. Blake Baker did a great job there. So I'm with you. This is set yourself up for February in the portal. You leave this signing period, the early signing period, if you're an LSU fan, and you say, I'm good. You know, we, we've got this. We got the guys that we figured that we were going to get. We were able to add a couple of guys like Wiggins and Ibiata and Allen and then Miles Frazier on the back end. You're perfectly content with that. Yeah. Um, when you look f- forward to February, uh, the signing day of February, do you are we expecting a bunch of uh, fr- incoming freshmen? Are we expecting transfers? Um, obviously, with the transfer rule, they can be separate. They don't have to conflict with one another. But how are you looking at um, just the next two months of recruiting and how they, they're going to approach it? I mean, right, in theory, if you can sign 25 and then add up to seven more from the transfer portal, uh, as long as you've got seven guys going out, and, and LSU will certainly have that. They've already had, what, five or six enter the portal. They might be at seven. So you know that you can sign up 32. Well, they're at 14 right now. I mean, you got more than half, half – you're not even halfway home to what you could get. So will they go all the way to 32? I don't. I doubt it. I mean, but – they're going to be heavy in the portal, yes, and that could mean so many different things. Obviously, they've already offered some offensive linemen. They've got Miles Frazier signed, so we know that's a, a spot they want to address. But yes, oh, and then obviously they went to the portal for Miles Brennan, but that's just really him coming back to LSU. But does that count towards the seven? I wonder uh, the position we knew that they would want it. I don't think so because he never enrolled anywhere else. But I guess then he also wouldn't be counting as part of the seven that left anymore either. So I guess it counts no matter how you're slicing it. But 
we knew court they'll be done at quarterback. No need to go get any other quarterbacks. We've got three of them now. Um, and Walker Howard will be on campus next month. Uh, so you're good there. You've got three quarterbacks. We'll see what other positions he really thinks is a need. But I said it could go in a number of directions. You don't know when these bowl games end and guys start opting out or not, you know, excuse me, turning pro or not turning pro or whatever it is, the portal starts to really heat up. And that could mean Notre Dame players that Kelly and the staff know. That could mean obviously players from anywhere. But I would think that they'll sign more transfer players the rest of the way than they will high school players. Now, in high school players, you're going to make evals in January. You've now got full senior films where you say, hey, look, this is a guy we weren't really on before from wherever in the country, but he didn't sign. And those are the kind of guys that all of a sudden, you, you know, we're flirting around with mid-major schools and now they're popping out LSU and, you know, Georgia offers or whatever it might be because people are getting a second look at them. So I would circle it's just a handful to start with and we'll keep it short there. Jacoby Matthews is in Louisiana. He's been committed to LSU before. He's been a fringe five-star. I know he was a five-star for a lot of his recruitment. Safety, no doubt you're going after him as hard as you can for February. The same goes for Trevante Citizen in Lake Charles. He's been committed to LSU before. You don't have a running back committed or signed right now. You're pushing for him. You're going all out. Frank Wilson will uh, be over there you know, every week uh, yeah. that he can in the open period trying to get uh, a guy like Citizen on board. Harold Perkins is who we've talked about forever at linebacker. He's the best uh, in the country coming out of Houston. A&M, LSU, Texas has kind of been in there. Um, we'll see ultimately where he goes, but he's sky high on the wish list, and, and he's a February guy. And then you, not only just lady valves around the country, but here in Louisiana, you saw the staff was over. Some of them were over watching the state title games and got to see it in person. But Danny Lewis out of Westgate, Keishon Butte's old teammate or old high school uh, more specifically, uh, tight end had a monster game com is committed to Cincinnati, but didn't sign early. So he picked up a Florida offer. Does LSU come around on him? I mentioned him being low on tight end numbers. So there's still a lot that can happen on the high school front. I just think that with you've already signed 13 high school guys, you can add a handful more. You're really wanting to focus on the portal from there because the portal's not what you want to be doing forever. Like it's been, and everyone's in a routine where you're going to grab a couple guys, but. Yeah. You don't want to every year have to rebuild your roster through the portal. But the reality of this situation right now with where this roster is, I mean, there were back-to-back -back seasons of going 500. We're at the end. Orgeron was having to play with like 50, 60 scholarship guys. Like that'll be the case in the bowl game. So you got to build this roster back up, get yourself some pieces that can help you now uh, through the portal. And then from there, they'll start to kind of maybe, you know, trend back towards signing 20 guys and just a handful of guys from the portal. But this year, portal's the buzzword, not just all around the country, specifically at LSU, because if Kelly's wanting to rebuild this roster and he's got guys defecting for the draft or opting out or transferring, whatever it might be, you've got to be able to bulk it back up uh, while also making these sort of long-term, you know, developmental plays, which is something Kelly said of, they have good faith that they can sign a lot of high school guys. And if they aren't the five-star types, they know what they can do as a staff in terms of development. We've seen it with his staffs at Notre Dame. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see. That's something to judge down the line. But for February, that's sort of what I'm watching. Yeah. And then we talked about the the transfer portal. Just looking at it, uh, the players who have transferred out at this point from LSU, Deion Smith, Max Johnson, Trey Palmer, Landon Jackson, and Eli Ricks. Uh, like you said, they've brought in Miles Frazier, offensive tackle from FIU. And then Miles Brennan comes Run back. Run those back and, again. 
so the players out, Deion Smith, Max Johnson, Trey Palmer, Landon Jackson, and Eli Ricks. Transfers in. And Bug Strong. And Bugs. Well, yes, Bugs Strong during the season. Yeah. Did I miss anybody else? Coy Moore. Yes, Coy Moore. Yeah. That was during the season. That was during so the they're season. at seven. So you know you're going to get to that. If you need to max out on your the, seven guys, you're already there. They're, they're after the bowl game, the, after the bowl game, I mean, I suspect that another couple would probably drop. Just my hunch of covering college football the past few years. That's just what it feels like it usually is. Um, and then Miles Brennan comes back. So, like you said, I think the quarterback position is pretty. I think that's the that's a big deal. That's about as good as you can do in the transfer portal, right? I, I wasn't expecting them to bring in like Bo Nix. I wasn't expecting them to bring in Dylan Gabriel. Um, I think Miles My, Burden's about as good as you can do in a tran- in the transfer portal, just of any of the candidates. By far the best option. You don't, and if you're bringing in a Bo Nix or someone like that, or someone who's has more than just a year of eligibility remaining. That's going to make a guy like Nussmeyer, you know, or whomever, you know, the other guys on your roster, Walker and Nuss, be like, well, is that guy the starter now for the next few years? Like, yeah. what, you know, what gives there? Uh, it's not someone that, like, Brian Kelly had a previous relationship that, you know, is his guy and that he'll play him for a couple of years. And they know Miles. It's Miles has been around through Walker's whole recruitment. Miles has been around with Nuss uh, on the team since he got here last spring. So, no doubt it couldn't have and miles wanted to be at lsu i think that miles was looking at a situation where max had just made 14 starts in a row and they have nuss and then they're bringing in walker and it's like well i can go to a southern miss and finally just get a year of film out there and yeah. try to make the nfl and with lsu it's one of their core they're down to two scholarship quarterbacks one of them is still in high school right now as we're recording it the other one is trying not to play in the bowl game basically not to burn a red shirt is to, as you know to remain a freshman you don't want to have to roll through that through an off season and everything else you knew you had to take a quarterback taking miles is the easiest way he wants to be here he knows the program knows the fan base knows the lay of the land he's not playing catch up on anything and he's in and it's one year and that gives time for walker and Nuss to continue to develop Nuss can be the backup walker can take a red shirt and, and you might finally be able to to get yourself in a groove of um, you know, a quarterback development and from one guy to the next and, and not be in the spot they were where, you know, three, what, Miles gets hurt and then Finley plays and then Max plays and then Finley transfers and Miles transfers and Max transfers and Miles comes back and you got to get out. You got to get away from that. So this, I know it's tough to avoid in the world of quarterbacks in the portal, but this might be setting them up to where they've got some stability in the room. The biggest thing with stability in, in college football with the quarterback room is the timeline to me. Like it has to be preferably you'd like it to be a little staggered to where everybody knows what they're getting into. It's when you have blurry timelines like you had with TJ Finley and Max Johnson and even Miles Brennan. That's where I felt like the, the kind of uncertainty came. Um, and then also just the injuries and whatnot. Just everything was just mixed up. So hopefully you get one really good year of Miles Brennan. You, you play it well. And then you could throw. Then you have Garrett Nussmeyer and Walker Howard coming in, and that can lead the new era. And you let them battle it out, battle it out. So this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Um, looking at the coaching um, buzz, the coaching situation, it's been interesting to see because it hasn't – he's not done. Brian Kelly is not done to this point. Uh, we know of the coaches that are gone, Corey Raymond, Mickey Joseph, Greg McMahon. Uh, Tommy Moffitt, Kevin Falk, Blake Baker now, um, DJ Mangus, and then we don't, or at least you can tell me if I'm wrong, uh, we don't know about Jake Peets and Durante Jones to this point, and Andre Carter? Yeah, and I don't, I'd be surprised if Andre Carter or Durante Jones were back. Um, yeah. Just from the buzz I've heard. Now, Peets has been around the recruiting weekends. He's been obviously involved in bowl prep as the O.C., I don't expect Jake Peets to be the OC, but if he's kept on staff, I've heard that Brian Kelly likes Jake Peets so far through their interactions and, and thinks that he's, you know, I'm, I'm going to speak for him I'm, because I, I'm not privy to any of their conversations, but he sees something in his football mind that he, that he values. I've heard there's going to be a chance that Peets remains on staff, but it would be coaching a position, you know, a position group, not calling plays, not being the coordinator. Uh, and that's what he did in the NFL. So, um, We'll see how that goes. Like you said, we don't know who the OC is. We don't know who the DC is. I think it's clear at this stage probably that they're waiting on seasons to end, whether that means bowl games or whether that means NFL seasons. But it's clear that we've seen a couple names thrown out on both now. We we heard Todd Munkin's name out there, and there was buzz around it. And and he had worked with, uh, with Brian Kelly before. He's George's offensive coordinator. He's coached. Um, obviously, and, and been around the LSU circles plenty. I think he probably remains in Georgia in the same fashion that we heard Pete Golding's name, you know, tossed around as Alabama defensive coordinator. He's from Louisiana. He recruits all these guys in the state. It would make sense that you would go after a guy like that. But then it sort of, you know, that died down. The buzz sort of died down on it. Now it's heated up, and Football Scoop reported this, and Football Scoop talks to plenty of agents, so you don't know if their agent plays or if it's real, but more often than not, they're not going to put it out there like they did this firmly in saying it, if it wasn't at least some real interest there, that Den Brock at Cincinnati, who's the OC and has coached with Kelly before, has been mentioned as an offensive coordinator, sort of top name. And then on the other side of the ball, Matt House, who's been with the Chiefs probably for a few years now, but he was with the Wildcats at Kentucky, uh, and then Brad White obviously has been uh, Kentucky's DC. His name was floated around uh, as LSU having some real interest. So we've heard names tossed. It just seems maybe the names that have now come to the forefront are Denbrock is uh, on the offensive side, House on the defensive side. I'm not going to pretend like I know anything about either of them other than what we've all read online. Uh, I've watched Cincinnati play and stuff. I'm not incredibly familiar with the chief linebacker core, but these guys seem to be held in high regard by other coaches and, and, and throughout the industry. And, and I'll say this, and, and certainly Kelly's had a kind of knack for hiring good coordinators, but really specifically on the defensive side. And you look at the coordinators he's had, you know, whether it's, well, now I think all of them are head coaches, right? But uh, Lee uh, is at Vanderbilt, Clark Lee. Um, Elko is at A&M. Now he's gone. Um, gosh, I'm probably missing one more, but, uh, Marcus Freeman, who's now the head coach at Notre Dame, um, he's had a run of hiring really good court defensive coordinators that have not only coached well for him, but then have been able to go on and elevate their careers. That's exactly what you want. Um, 
I'd be curious uh, who the DC hire is, but I would also have faith in knowing, look, I'm looking at what Brian Kelly's done with his other coordinator hires. The man hasn't missed recently, so I have no reason to doubt, you know, whoever he thinks is the best fit. Yep. And when we look at the staff currently, uh, we know that he's kept, uh, Kelly has kept Brad Davis. He's added Brian Polian, uh, Frank Wilson, Kerry Cooks. From that group, obviously the one that I'm most familiar with, the ones that we're familiar with uh, are Brad Davis and Frank Wilson. Polian, Cooks, I believe Cooks is going to be the DB's coach, or has that been decided yet? Um, and then Polian, obviously, special teams. Yeah, I don't think it's been decided uh, yet on Cooks. But the also also thing, um, and people pointed this out on the board a lot, that Brian Kelly's been the type of coach who has a safeties coach and a corners coach. And now with Corey Raymond gone, Cooks is a career DB coach. It makes sense that he would be at one of those spots, but they haven't really yeah. said which one yet. So we'll have to monitor it. And the same with Frank Wilson, because if you think about it, Frank is known for coaching running backs at LSU. He'd coached receivers previously. He's been a head coach. He's coached at the high school level. So he's sort of, and it's almost like Brian Kelly is, not almost, other than Polian at special teams, with Cooks and Wilson, when they're announced, they were just announced as assistants on one okay. side of the ball or the other, right? Mm -hmm. Defense or offense. And it's clear that Kelly is piecing together his staff and probably coordinator, you know, hires are, are paramount in terms of how things then flow from there. Like if you're hiring a defensive coordinator and he's also a linebackers coach, well, then we saw that Blake Baker is not going to be here anymore and he's moving on. And he was excellent during his year here. Uh, nothing. I think fans have nothing but love for him. And, and certainly Damone and Micah were playing a lot better and were sky high on him as a coach, but with him moving on, if you hire a DC and he's a linebackers coach, you're not hiring another linebackers coach. So no need for them to go out right now and name somebody as a linebackers coach, unless they knew exactly who the DC was and that he was out there, you know, coaching a different position. So I'm not shocked that until we get OCDC that the like, rest of the staff won't be filled out, but does Frank coach running backs? Does Frank, and yeah. you know, if a guy like Pete stays on, he coaches receivers or does Pete's he coached running backs in the NFL. Does he do that? And Frank take over the receiver room. Like, you know, there's, I'm sure that Kelly's kind of weighing all this out in his mind, getting a feel for the guys he's got there, the guys he wants to bring in. And I think by after the new year, we'll get a great grip of it. Look, if they don't name the coordinator, Matty B in, or, you know, these hires, let's say the coordinator hires more specifically after the national championship games, let's say that that's the college football season's over. Well, then they're in the NFL. There'd be no other reason to be waiting. And, by that point, you found somebody that would take the job that you like. If, even if you're saying, well, that means they can't, they keep striking out on guys or whatever. By that point, you found someone that you like that's going to take the job. So I would guess that all of this stuff we start to hear about in the next few weeks as both the college season ends and then the NFL season wraps up here. But they're probably in like week 15 right now. So uh, only a few more weeks to go there. Yep. Um, I think that covers most of the coaching talk. If we look at, Let's talk about some um, – so Neil Farrow opted out. Um, we're not sure who else is going to opt out to this point. Uh, obviously, I I kind of expect Damone Clark to opt out. I actually was surprised that he hasn't already. But, um, again, he's played a lot of games. Uh, he's His stock continues to rise. Uh, he was a Butkus Award a finalist type guy. Um, I'm not sure what to expect and what this team is going to look like. That's why I've kind of held off on previewing the game to this point, just because I'm still waiting on opt-outs. I'm waiting on, you know, maybe just transfers. Uh, that was the big thing when this, when it started or when 
the bullion was announced, I was like, all right, I'm going to wait to to preview this. And then all of a sudden, that's when, you know, Deion Smith, Max Johnson, all these players transferred out. And I was like, okay, now I'm really going to wait and see what this team is going to look like. So what are we hearing from the team? What do we what do we know about just the situation? Obviously, Neil Farrell is probably going to get drafted. Uh, is, is that all this kind of is at this point? Yeah, with Neil, I think it's, hey, look, I've upped my stock in a major way. I mean, he would go on through big stretches where he was the highest ranked D-lineman in the country on PFF. So you knew that his stock had been elevated. No shock at all that after, you know, he's a senior that he says, hey, look, I'm going to go ahead and start preparing for the draft. And and you understand it. If he goes into the bowl game and blows out his knee, it's all for naught. He's not getting drafted anywhere high on anyone's board. So a guy like that, you understand, Damone Clark, I'm in the same boat. I'm People are going to be out there and say, well, he's number 18. He should be playing here. That dude got hated on by everyone out. Anyone who's saying, oh, he's number 18, should be playing here, was the same person that said Damone Clark sucked like eight months yeah. ago. And I wasn't in that camp. I always thought that Damone Clark had real upside. He was one of Aranda's favorites. I think things took a turn in the Polini year and didn't go great for him. But Blake Baker and Damone Clark were just on the same level. And it Damone Clark took, he was what, he passed up. Devin White, Kevin Minner, all those records. I think he was fourth now in single season LSU history, most tackles. I think he finished 137. But he's pushing up into the point where people at the late end of the first round, early second round, are going to be talking about him. And he'll go through a senior bowl. He'll go through draft workouts, combine. He's going to interview really well. This is a kid who was valedictorian at Southern Labs. So responsible guys, never gotten you into any trouble, got to wear 18 because he's the team leader. And now it's time for him to take that next step. He's got a child. He's got a family that this is a life-changing decision for. So I'm not shocked at all that Damone Clark is where it is that he's already out West and starting to train with a number of guys. And there's other LSU guys, obviously, that'll be out there with him eventually. We've heard Ty Davis Price's name is a guy who's already kind of starting to train for things. I know people would say, well, it wasn't like he was perfect throughout the whole year. Look, he broke the single game rushing record once you saw when they actually could call good, you know, have good O-line play, be calling good plays for the run game. Uh, When they started working on all the counter stuff and the pulls with the offensive guards, he really took off to the next level. They got Mashburn in there. So we know what TDP can do, but from talking around evidently like this will next year is going to be a deep running back class. This one, not so much. And I think it makes sense probably for more for him. If he's saying how much, do I really up my stock um, coming back next year because John Emery will still probably be in the mix. Armani Goodwin, Corey Kiner started to play a ton as a freshman. So you've got other guys out there running back is the days where one guy. Yeah, Bradford, the days where one guy just gets like 25 carries a game are, are pretty much done unless you've got that Jonathan Taylor type back. And for LSU this year, Davis was that guy almost by default because Emery was out. They had a walk-on in Josh Williams, and then they just had two freshmen they were trying to bring along uh, who were both kind of banged up at different points. So I would understand a Davis Price. Um, we've heard other names tossed around. Glenn Logan. Some of these guys are banged up too, so it's like, do I play? I'm a senior. I've played however, you know, however many career games. Glenn Logan's played 10-plus games a year. for. He's now in his sixth year at LSU. Um, we've heard names like that. We'll see. I think people are Matty B are watching the quarterback because we heard about Brad Davis saying Nussmeyer was trying to get a waiver. 
to play, but still keep his red shirt. I've heard that's not going to happen. Not that they didn't put in for it, just that the NCAA won't bite on it. Could mean some, we'll see what that happens for Nussmeier, right? He's out there, he's practicing. We'll see what the decision becomes there. Might be seeing some John Trey Kirkland Wildcat quarterback. John Trey was uh, an excellent quarterback, just running kind of Wildcat stuff at Lutcher. He was a state champ in high school, and he's sort of always been that thing of, uh, you know, when will John Trey get some Wildcat looks? Well, you might be getting them. You might be getting them for a whole game here. Uh, and when Brad Davis was asked about it, like, hey, what would happen if you don't have Nussmeier? And is it John Trey? Is it a walk-on? He was kind of coy about it, but he just said, look, no matter what happens, he's like, we're plotting out for all options and we think we can still be able to move the football. We'll see how it goes. They're going to be down on a lot of guys, obviously, but it'll be entertaining. It, Kansas State is obviously a team that's also what right about the same record. I don't yep. think they've had a lot of opt-outs or anything. Mm -hmm. They might actually – K-State might roll through there at full strength. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Uh, I will not be surprised as LSU is the underdog to K-State giving everything that's sort of going on in terms of LSU's back end of the season. Yeah. I, I just, I can't fault someone for opting out to go to the NFL uh, in a six and six season while you're playing against another six and six team here. That to me, no, this, this playoffs, they're not playing for a natty. They're not, not even new year six, a 10 and two record or something like that. Um, this hasn't been one of those like magical seasons. Like it's if anything, it's been a season you want to forget, like fans want to forget. So I don't understand where the, the animosities come from to be like, Oh, you need to play in this game. Even though I, and I think I speak for a lot of fans, a lot of fans probably wouldn't even want to, don't even want to watch the game. So like, yeah, I, I don't just, be like, like you're just you're you just weren't even, you weren't even moving around your January fourth plans. You're exactly you didn't even watch exactly. the game anyways. And look, for, here's the other thing for me: these seniors, if it's a game like this, you're opting out. You don't want to run the risk of injury. You want to go ahead and get a head start on your your draft prep. No problem. The if I'm a fan, I'm excited because that means cool. We're going to get to see Greg Penn and all of these other freshmen that you don't get to see during the year because they're really just backups, but they're going to be really big pieces when they're starters next year, where, you know, playing in a true rotation role. This gives you a chance to have them get 15 practices, rep with the first team, play in a game on a big stage on live TV, get those jitters out, get the feel of the game, the speed of the game, all of that. Then they go into the offseason with that bit of confidence of, okay, I know what to expect now. I'm not going into next year. And when we run out of the Tunnel and Tiger Stadium, you know, I'm shaking in my boots because it's the first time I'm ever going to go out there and actually really play for the team. Put all those guys out there right now. It'll be a ton of freshmen, ton of sophomores. It's, and that, for me, fun for me to watch. That's like why I used to stay in college. I would always stay till the end of the game because if they were blowing them out, everyone left. I just wanted to see all the recruits that were just in the signing class that they signed that we don't ever get to see for two years, three years down the line. No, they'll put them all out there in the bowl game and it'll be fun to watch. And we also get to see Mike Jones. Don't forget about that. We get to see more. Um, yeah, the, uh, to touch on the quarterback situation uh, real quick, there's a, been debate that even if he can't get uh, the waiver, Nussmeyer, that they should burn the rest right anyways and just give him, let him play the game. I personally don't think they should do that. I think that he's in line next year to play a lot. Um, Max Miles Brennan, again, I expect to be the starter, but we saw this year um, – 
I think even if Miles Brennan plays well, there's going to be plenty of games where Garrett Nussmeyer comes in, whether it's in a blowout. Uh, there, there's going to be situations where I think I think Garrett Nussmeyer plays probably six to seven games next year, even if Miles Brennan plays well. So I don't think you you risk the run of next year being in a situation where you're like, okay, let's try to keep Garrett under four games. Next year, you want Garrett to get as many snaps as possible. Hell, if Garrett plays well, you want him to be the starter next year. Like, you know, there's just there's just situations where you don't want Nussmeyer to be in a situation where you're looking to cap him at any at, as much as possible. You want him to be as free as possible next year and just go into the year saying, hey, we're going to get you in as much as we can if he's not the starter. So I, I don't think you risk that again for a 6-6 six and six team that is playing no. on January 4th. Um, who, I didn't even know they played game, bowl games on January 4th. They definitely should not. But uh, here we are. So I, I would not do it. I would just roll out there with some with the the walk-ons, with Jontre Kirkland, with some Wildcats, have some fun, because that's all this is. This is not going to be – if they lose the game, okay, you go 6-7 and seven instead of 7-6. and six. That is not the end of the world, I promise you. It's nothing of this game will matter when we look at the start of next year, except for maybe Greg Penn playing great or some other player playing great that we didn't think about like that. That's it. That's it. So that that's, that's my take on, on that situation. Yeah. I'm um, happy. Go ahead. And when people say, well, they, well, it'll be the first losing season since 1999. If they finish six and seven, you, these guys should be playing to avoid a losing season. And then you say, okay, is it that big of a deal? It's six and seven versus seven and six. Well, a losing season. That's not the direction. That's not what LSU is all about. That's not the direction of this program. Yeah, that's why they just fired everybody. <laughs> I was going to say, they already uh, lost this year. The year uh, lost. They lost. I just let the guys have fun. Let everybody get some reps. It's That's what the – when you're in these types of bowl games, it's about going over there, spending a week, getting to run around with your friends, getting the swag bags, and then getting some playing time. So – I'll be there. I'll be watching. I'm expecting it to be at least entertaining in the sense of getting to see all the guys that we might not normally get to see. And, and there'll be plenty of familiar faces that'll be out there of guys that have played all year, but uh, I am pumped to see uh, this next wave. All right. I'll do this segue here. This will be the last segment basketball because we're putting you on the spot here. eBay motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What did We talked about this yesterday. What is your combined record now since joining the beat? Because you've, uh, covering Kim and Wade... Kim, year one and, and your first year of Wade, you're 11 and 0 in men's and 10 and 1 now in women's. Yep, 10 and 1 in women's. 21 and 1, Shay. We're looking good. We're looking up. Uh, the women play again today. Uh, they play Texas Tech at 2 30, I believe it is. 
Uh, neither of these games, today's game or yesterday's game, are able to be watched uh, because they're on Flow Hoops, which you have to pay $13 a month to watch games. And so I'm not watching the games. I was working out while I was checking the scores yesterday or checking the score of the game constantly. So they end up winning. And um, yeah, actually, I got to get to a Will Wade presser at like noon today. So that'll be fun as well. Thoughts on... All right, let's we'll go through the women real quick. Okay. This is a team last year. I think they won eight or nine games, and nine. I was at the tip-off function. There was a thing with all the coaches. I was speaking at an alumni event, and Kim got up there and talked. And someone asked from question the crowd in jest, obviously, uh, Kim, maybe not actually. They're like, "Do you think?" She was like, "Look, patience, patience, patience. We're not going to do this in a day. It's going to not going to look good at times." And they said, well, do you think you can win more games than they did last year? And she said, thought about it. She goes, would they win nine games? She goes, well, I'll tell you this. I'll make you a deal. The person I have on my staff who schedules our games, I'll fire him if we don't win, if he can't schedule me nine wins. So she was it like she didn't want expectations high. They're 10 and one. And they've actually played really well. Sum up to the people who haven't watched yet, and they're going to start watching when they get into SEC play and they're going to end up going to a game or two because it'll be packed and they'll, you know, play a ranked SEC opponent. Sum up this LSU team women. What do they do well? Kayla Pointer at point guard is in- incredible. Like in, in just for a basketball fan, if you're a basketball fan of any of any of high school, college, NBA, WNBA, it doesn't matter. Kayla Pointer is, is exceptional talent. So I would pay just to watch her. And then I think just their guard depth, they're fun to watch. They play really fast um, as well. I want to say they're in the top 50 in the country in pace. Uh, they they just go a lot of times, and that is because of their guards. Uh, they play really hard, and I think it's fun just watching Kim Mulkey on the sideline half the time. Like, A, and what she's wearing, and then B, just the, the emotes, just how animated she gets throughout the game. So uh, that's all worth the price of admission for me. And then you throw in there just how good they are. They are now, I think, 21st in the country in the AP pool. Uh, they're going to be playing really good teams. I think they play a- they play A&M on January 2nd at home. So uh, everyone should try to go to that. And then they play South Carolina. Is that on the 6th? I'm not 100% sure. They play South Carolina pretty soon after that. So, I mean, it's a team that, for those who don't know, has beaten Iowa State, who is top 15, top 20 in the country. And then they've beaten Missouri State who went to the Sweet 16 last year, I believe. So they've already have two really, really big wins under their belt. They've blown out Tulane. They've won, won games that I didn't watch them last year, but those are games that good that bad teams don't win. So they are legitimately a top 25 team. And I've seen AM play this year, and I think LSU might be better than AM at this point, which just from a neutral perspective, even if you don't love basketball or don't love women's basketball, LSU versus AM it doesn't really matter the sport. So that's the women's basketball pitch. I think people should really, really, and they've had good crowds, man. They've had really, really fun crowds. The Iowa State game was awesome. Just really awesome. Is the, so the mentality of, well, one more women's, the mentality of the men's team and the men's team weren't ranked preseason. They had just so many new pieces, but they knew they'd be good. And they've been back to back to back tournament teams. They, you know, they always, since Wade's been here, finished top three in the SEC each year, which is wild to think about. They've won the SEC one of the years. So there's expectations there. And I think Wade's way of looking at the whole season and how it falls apart was 
what do they say? Stacking days. That's what all of them are always saying is one day at a time. Just keep stacking the days. You'll see the guys on the court all the time after the win. They do the stacking days, stacking days. Mulkey came in with like almost the we're going to suck mentality and we're not going to have a lot of people there and just played it down to be as low as possible so she could build them up. Is there what is her rhetoric in press conferences, how the team talks? Did they even talk like did they acknowledge at all that they're 10, 11 and one and that now they should be beating teams that they do have these aspirations or is it kind of just one day at a time? She's she's fascinating. And that's why, honestly, that's why I enjoy covering uh, them, uh, not only because they are good and I, I love basketball, but getting to talk and cover a Hall of Famer is just I'll do that any day. Uh, she's like you said, continues to set expectations low. She's continuing to be like, you know, there'll be games where we play teams that are better than us that, you know, we're not going to shoot great and we're going to lose. Like she'll say that just straight up. She'll be um, honest with you. But then she'll also say that a goal of this team was to win nine games. A goal of this team was to win 10 games because that's more than they won last year. And she has no problem celebrating that, making sure that that is known. And I think there's a confidence that this team has right now at, since they beat Iowa state, and even Missouri State to a degree, but Iowa State specifically, doing that at home, the confidence of this team has skyrocketed, right? You come off a nine-win season, and you're like, okay, with a new coach, some turnover, you're like, what exactly are we? We're not sure. You beat Iowa State at home. You look at the SEC, and you're like, okay, there's maybe one team that's significantly better here, and that's South Carolina. Everybody else, Kentucky, Tennessee even, Tennessee's good, but A&M, and this LSU team will not be scared of any of them. And that's what that's a Kim Mulkey effect, right? That just comes from what she brings. So, yeah, she can talk about how she's like, oh, you know, we're going to play a better team in Tennessee or we're South Carolina. And we're not going to probably not going to win. That's OK. The, the players and I think she believes that they're going to win as well. But the, I mean, the players at this point are just like, no, just give roll the ball out there and, and we'll we'll see how it, how it goes. Like that's that's what they're thinking. They're playing really free, and I think that's a good way to describe this team. Is there is no pressure on them. Like Caleb Point is coming off. I mean, they're all coming off a year where they just won nine games, and now they're playing with kind of house money at this point. That's just, and it's been fun to watch. So that that's been the main thing for me. Is I've enjoyed it. Okay, so the flip side, you say playing with house money, you get to play really free and loose. The men's team had high expectations. <laughs> Is it supposed yeah. to be good? And you get Xavier to transfer in. You get Tarisen to transfer in. These guys come in with the mentality of, you know, Brandon Murray signing, Efton Reed signing as a five star. Of I'm coming here to win, and like the expectations are we're a deep tournament team. Are they? They don't. But it seems to me like they're playing with house. I'm just my. I go to the games and I read everything yeah. you write. They seem as loose as they can be. They don't seem tight at all, and they're undefeated. They're the last undefeated SEC team sitting out there. And we'll segue this into my second question, which will fit in. But your thought on that is the demeanor of this basketball team, how would you describe it? I think they really enjoy each other, and I think that that's a big deal. I think we've seen uh, in the, the post game video when they were all going crazy and everything, I think this team just really, really loves uh, playing together. I think someone said that, I don't remember who it was, um, talked about how much they just enjoy being around each other. Oh, it was Darius. Darius said this is the fun, most fun he's had on a team. And that says something, right? That's Darius days. So I'm, I look at this team, they press, they play really fast. Um, I, they're not under pressure on the court. I mean, we've, 
your boy Eric Gaines, I mean, knows that firsthand. He could have four turnovers, but as long as he impacts the game and in a positive way, he's going to be on the court, and he does that. So they know that they're going to make mistakes, but they also know that the other team that the, or that they're going to force mistakes rather. So I, I I look at it as a very free team, but like you said, the expectations are starting to stack up here. So it's a little different being down eight at halftime to Louisiana Tech. What are they going to do if they're down eight at halftime to Auburn to Kentucky? on the road, right? That's that's where it starts to get interesting because then you're looking at it where Brandon Murray's a freshman. Um, you know, you have those experienced guys in Pinson and Days, but Tari Eason hasn't been on this stage to this point. You got some questions and um I I'm I'm just I can't describe. I've been sell- telling you this, I've been telling everybody this the past month. I'm just like, just get me to SEC play. It. I just I just can't wait. Just get me to SEC play. It. I'm going to one more game. One more game. Um, but yeah, just uh, to real quickly, before going into SEC play, there's been I've been battling what I expect from this team going into it. I mean, I think that they are on the level of Kentucky and um, a lot of these teams. Like I look at nobody in this SEC is perfect. There's not a juggernaut team. Alabama's good, but they've lost two games to this point. They lost to Memphis. Um, recently, and so I look at this conference. I'm like, there's not a juggernaut. There's not a a solid top seven six team in this conference. And I'm like, okay, that's the best team. Everybody else has to fall, fall in line. If I mean, I was looking at Ken Palm the other day, and it's like Auburn, Alabama, LSU, T- Tennessee, Kentucky. Like you have those five teams, and you can sort them basically any way you want. To me, I'd probably put Auburn first. I think Auburn's probably the best team of the group but after that I'm like LSU could come in fifth or sixth or LSU could come in first or second so that's what it's going to come down to those close games and LSU has questions but so does every other team in this conference so that should again there's not a Gonzaga from last year or a Baylor from last year in this conference there's a bunch of good teams that are going to just fight and it's going to be fun as hell to watch these teams just fight We'll, uh, we'll wrap this up because I think it'll be two talking points that people over the holiday break, if they're talking about LSU basketball or they're watching the game this weekend and and they're saying how things have gone. You wrote a great piece on this, and I talked about how loose they play. And when they're down in the first half in games, you can tell they're, net, they're never really rattled about it. They're like, all right, and they do what they do in the second half. So not what did you learn because I know that, or what did you learn from writing and, and looking into that piece about what makes them a second half surge team or a slow start team? However you want to describe it, I'll let you do that. But maybe not just that, but what's the takeaway from that of how do you fix it? And then the other thing I think people are going to sit around and talk about because we see it on our board. So we'll make you answer this. Should Tarese, why is Tarese the best player on the team not starting? What's the thought process there? And is Will Wade correct in how he's approaching it? All right, to start with what I learned from from doing the piece, and I, I, I put this on the board, but I think it was my favorite piece I've written since I've been here. Um, it's long. Uh, I think anybody who enjoys basketball or who wants to know more about what they're seeing will enjoy it because I I enjoyed getting to, to look back. I mean, I watched the first five, six minutes of basically every game just to, to prep for it. And in doing that, you see some trends, right? You see – um, the defensive intensity might not be as well as it is to start the second half in, in those games. You see the shot selection might not be as good as it is in the second half. And why is that? And then you see what Will Wade tries to do to counter it. You see he tries to post up Efton Reed a lot more. You try, he gets first touches on 
to start the half almost every single um, game. So it's been it's interesting because I think that they're the shot selection is going to be something that they're going to have to really focus on in conference play. You can't, but at the same time, they want to play fast. So when they get a good look, they want to take it right. And that's, it's balancing that in, in college basketball is playing your pace, but also taking the shots you want to take, even if the defense is giving you a shot that doesn't fit your pace, if that makes sense. So um, just from the story and you mentioned it is how they get off the faster starts. I think it just has to come with the defensive intensity and it has to come with, obviously you would love to score a basket, but it's basically one of two things. Either you score a basket really early and you can set up your press and you play off that, or you force a turnover or you get into their jerseys early on and you set the pace that way. LSU is a team that has to set the pace. LSU is a team that has to set the tone of a game because if not, then the other team will settle in and LSU can't let teams settle in because then it turns into like a half court game where, LSU is just trying to go talent for talent. And while they're talented, obviously, you don't, that's not how they're winning games. They're not winning games because they're talent. They're winning games because of how they play and the frenetic pace and the turnovers. And Eric Gaines coming in here and tipping the ball out, or Tari Eason getting the ball off a rebound and taking it coast to coast and dunking it. Like it's just the frenetic, freneticness. So um, to get to the second question you asked is um, starting lineup slash Tari Eason. And I wrote this and, um, just a spoiler alert, I guess, for those who haven't read it, but I kind of go in depth about it more in the story, is I said they should start Eric Gaines. I think they should start Eric Gaines for Imwani Wilkinson. And I say that not because Imwani Wilkinson's bad or Eric Gaines is better, but because of the style that they play. Eric Gaines is, you know, up the court. For anybody who's watched him, you all know what I'm talking about. He just is everywhere at all times of the game, on offense and defense, bad or good. And I think that's just what this team needs at this point is to get someone who is going to, change the pace of the game early on it's not a talent issue and that's why i don't look at starting tar eason it's not a talent issue it's a style issue and i think that's the biggest thing that people need to understand yes they could be you could be right starting tar eason could fix things and it probably would be a better option but i don't think it's that linear i think if you bring darius days or efton Reed off the bench i don't think that that's ideal for them so i'm starting those two no matter what so my only option is starting tar eason for Imani wilkinson and I still don't think I'd do that because that would change the front court rotation pretty significantly. Like that would be kind of weird in a sense. So how many minutes would you even have with those guys? But that is an option I'm open to. So that's basically, that's that's the basic SparkNotes version of the story. Y'all can check it out on the site. It's on our homepage still um, if you are a VIP subscriber. Um, but that is a really interesting thing. We'll have to see if, if they can fix it. Well, somebody asked on the board, and well, you've watched more of it and broke it down than anyone. So I'll ask you this. Can an argument be, and I didn't make this argument either. Let's preface it by yeah, saying okay. that due to my Don't games love. Could it be argued that so far through an 11-0 start that Gaines and Tari Eason are the two most important pieces so far to that start? Tari is definitely one. No doubt. Uh, figuring out if. If Gaines, I mean, like I said, Gaines is huge for this team and what they you, want to do. So you at least had to think about it for a second. Neither of those two guys even start right now. So no matter how you're kind of looking at it of who should be in, who should be out, this team's got bench depth that they didn't have before. And, and oh, that's yeah. with Adam Miller out. I mean, you're talking now about seven guys who no doubt will be big and throw in fudge. 
you know, yeah. that can no doubt be difference makers for you throughout the stretch of a game. Here, here's the thing is you could make an easy argument, and I don't know if I'd make this argument, but you could, uh, that their three best defense players all come off the bench. Like that's how kind of crazy that's been to a degree. I think Imani Wilkinson's one of the three best defenders, and Brandon Murray's really good. But like you could make that argument. Milani would be out there making a case for uh, fighting you over that of him not being the best defensive player out there. For sure, for sure. No, no, no. He's he's great. Again, this team is the best defensive team in the country. Literally the best defensive team in the country at this point, on or at least on Kim Palm, which I trust thoroughly um the offense has taken hits continuously um just continue to drop down they're 56 in the country on ken palm so you're looking at 56 on offense first on defense um obviously you would love it to be a little more even at some point but you it, it is what it is and i think that that's going to keep them in a lot of games and give them a chance to win so um they start with auburn on the road on was it the 29th i believe it is Man, that is that is a hell of a game to start with. And for a team who hasn't really played a true road game to this point either, let's not forget that. They've played tournaments. They've played at in Atlanta, which wasn't at home for Georgia Tech, but it was, you know, even though it's the same city. Um, and then Louisiana Tech was kind of a road game, but not really. So congratulations. Your first road game is against Auburn, a top 15 team that is going to really – is a really, really good team. Might have a top five pick in the in the upcoming nba draft on it oh i can't wait boot, boot up just can't wait can't wait boot up and reboot um hashtag i think it's just hashtag reboot right for the women's or is it reboot up or the reboot is it the, the reboot the reboot the reboot so yeah um Man, this this was a lot of fun. We got the almost an hour, Shay, which is good. I think they'll get people on the drive on the drive home. I know, like I said, I gotta drive seven hours home, so maybe I'll just listen to this back whenever I do. Um, but yeah, we appreciate everybody for joining us. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube, subscribe, leave a like, comment, and share. If you're uh, listening on Apple, leave us a five star rating and review. Or if you're listening anywhere else, feel free to follow us, share it with a friend, all that good stuff. We really appreciate y'all joining us. Um, if you're not already, check out our um, our our page, uh, Go247. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, become a subscriber. You get access to our VIP boards and all that good stuff. I think most of the content we have right now up is VIP, just looking at our homepage. So uh, don't miss out on the good content. Check all that out. If Maybe gift it to somebody for um, Christmas. Who knows? But yeah. We appreciate all y'all for joining us. Uh, Stay tuned to Go 24-7 for the latest on LSU, and we'll talk to y'all later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.